Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And it's not exactly a word that you and I would have thought would be the right word to choose when you're talking about someone's gonna murder you. But it's the word, behold thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself. It's the word comfort, purposing to kill thee. That's very interesting. This is the Hebrew word, nacham. Nacham, that's where Noah's name came from. He will comfort us, nacham. Nacham is the word used to describe how God feels when he sees brethren that are dwelling together in unity in Psalm 133, Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and how nacham, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. See, nacham is to feel comforted after the tragedy of brethren fighting with each other, which is what brethren normally do. (laughs) And now they're back together again, so after this tragedy, so there's a nacham, There's a comfort after tragedy. Nacham is the word that God said to say to the Jewish people after the warfare between them and God was over because their sin was forgiven. And he said, he said, say this to them in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. Nacham, nacham, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye nacham. To Jerusalem, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's the word. Nacham, nacham, my people. Nacham, comfort my people. After the tragedy, after the tragedy, comfort them. After the tragedy of their war with God is over. Now you comfort. After the tragedy that their sins were not forgiven, but now they are forgiven, nacham, comfort them. See, to a war-ravaged Jewish people, God said something wonderful, and it's found in Isaiah 66, verse 12, where he says, for thus saith the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. See, how, what, what a wonderful thing this is that God says to the Jewish people that, they're, that they've been war-ravaged, that now peace is going to be extended to them like a river. I mean, you just picture just being there in a river. I remember one time in Kyoto, we took those boats in the, in the river. The river was flowing all around us, and we had kind of anchored there, and the river was just flowing. And, you know, just picture just being in a flowing river with water just flowing all around you, and it just keeps coming and coming, and there's no end in sight, and it's the water, and it's the flowing, and it's the flowing, and there's no indication the water is going to stop there. That's the wonder of a flowing river. And to the Jewish people who have only known war and war and war and war, 
They even have to give these names for the war. There's the Six-Day War. There's the Yom Kippur War. You know, there's a wonder. There's 11 years. There's wars, wars, wars. Like they're going to run out of names. One war after another war. And God now says, peace. Peace is going to come to you like a flowing river. Peace flowing, flowing. Peace, peace, peace. See? In Isaiah 66, 12. For thus saith the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. When the Jewish people might say, but all we've known is war, war, war. And God says, yes, now comes the change, and now all you will know is peace, peace, peace. So going from war to peace is comfort, comfort, comfort. So God says to the Jewish people, this word nacham, in the next verse, in Isaiah 66, 13, after 12, it says, as one whom his mother nacham comforteth, so will I nacham comfort you, and you shall be nacham, comforted in Jerusalem. See, so the idea here is that comfort after tragedy, comfort after tragedy, comfort after tragedy, and that's what tied up in the word nacham. And so God has a nacham for everyone. God's nacham is the greatest nacham that anyone can experience in life. God's nacham is described in Ephesians 2, 12 to 13, where it says, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's pretty bad. But, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. See? There's no greater tragedy in life than to be without Christ and to be an alien from all that God gave to Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, to be a stranger to the covenants of promise, the new covenant of his blood, having no hope without God in the world. There's no greater tragedy than to have your sins separate you from God and to be in this state of darkness and despair. But the blood of Christ is God's nacham, which takes us from being far from God and brings us near to God. That's God's comfort after tragedy. That's the blood of Christ. That's God's nacham. And in essence, Rebecca is saying to Jacob, your brother Esau is nachaming himself. <laughs> nacham, you know. He's feeling comforted after the tragedy of having had the blessing taken away from him. Now, normally, if you hear that, you would say, oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, so he's okay now. So in the next question, well, what comforted him? She said, the scheme to murder you. <laughs> See, by using that word, Nacham, Rebecca, the craftsman, she is skillful. Never underestimate Rebecca. She was saying that Esau is now Nacham. He's comforted after the tragedy that we all heard when he cried out with that bitter cry. And she was saying, you saw, you heard that, that blood-curdling scream of anguish when he found out you took the blessing. Well, now he's okay. He's comforted after the tragedy. He's got a scheme to murder you. Now, after she's used this word nacham in verse 42 to emphasize the power of Esau's determination to murder Jacob, 
See, by using that word nacham, she just told Jacob that his, his, Esau's determination was so powerful that it's comforted him after the tragedy of the loss of his blessing. So Esau's tragedy was so strong, but the nacham was strong enough to comfort Esau. And so what was the nacham? It was this determination to murder him. So when, when Rebekah said that to Jacob, she had Jacob's attention. And now that she has Jacob's attention, she moves in with her commanding position that we're all too familiar with, with Rebekah. In verse 43, and she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. These are not suggestions. These are not recommendations. These are not, the, the, it's like the sergeant in the army. I'm not suggesting. <laughs> I'm not asking you to consider. I'm not even asking you to think about it. I am telling you, obey. I'm commanding you. That's Rebecca. I am commanding you. And I imagine that Rebecca somehow made her voice very strong and commanding. Rebecca, she was saying, somehow made her voice this way, and she would say, now you listen to this strong, commanding voice, and you give absolute allegiance to obey this voice. Now what we're seeing here in Rebecca is a person, again, who is headstrong, and she feels she has everything under control. Nothing catches her by surprise. I don't you worry about that. I got it. After all, she had a scheme that was successful in getting Jacob blessed instead of Esau, and now it seems to have gotten a little bit out of control, but that's okay. I mean, Esau's got now a plan to murder Jacob because she's got a counter scheme. And she's got one counter scheme after the other, and she is one confident lady. And she will save Jacob's life. It's so sad when we look at Rebecca because she misses opportunities all along the way to trust the Lord with all her heart instead of leaning to her own understanding. And when she learned that Isaac had a scheme to bless Esau, she missed the opportunity to go to God in prayer and trust God with all her heart. Instead, she leaned to her own understanding. Counter scheme number one, deceive Isaac. And she only created more problems of conflicts that we're reading about. And when she's learned that Esau had a scheme to kill Jacob, again, Rebecca rises to the occasion, but she misses her opportunity to go to God in prayer and trust God with all of her heart, not to lean to her understanding, but then she goes, okay, counter scheme number two, send Jacob away. And she only creates more problems of separation from Jacob for, for really what amounted to the, probably for the rest of her life. She never saw him again. Instead of the forceful, I will push this through, of verse 43, now therefore my son obey my voice, would have been so much better if Rebecca would have said, now therefore I will obey the voice of God and I will go now to God and confess my sins and ask him for mercy and for intervention and for guidance. But what verse 43 does for us is it just puts up this big giant poster in our lives. When we come against problems in our lives, are we gonna be like Rebecca? Are we gonna see in verse 43 this poster that basically says, and what are you going to do now? And will you lean to your own understanding? Or will you push and shove your, and you're gonna push and shove your way through this? Are you gonna be the now therefore my son obey my voice? Or will it be, Lord, help me? And the prayer of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 2012, 2 Chronicles 2012, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. See, there's quite a difference between the we have no might, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee, 
and the now therefore my son obey my voice. Pushing or trusting? That's the question. Rebecca or Jehoshaphat? That's the question. Now, she tells Jacob her counter scheme, the Esau scheme, and she says, uh, you know, obey my voice, and uh, then she says uh, in verse 45, uh, arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, and Haran, and tarry with him a few days till thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I'll send, fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived of also both of you one day? Now, in Rebecca's counter scheme, we see how things just kind of spun out of control. It looks like she really didn't think this through. It just looks like, you know, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen. Whoa. You know, I don't know. What were you thinking, Rebecca? But anyway, she, the consequences of her first counter scheme was this anger in Esau. And she just seems like it just kind of caught her off guard. She just didn't anticipate it was going to be so angry. I mean, this is always the case. When we're faced with problems, we don't turn to God, and we push our way through with a we-can-handle-it schemes. That's Rebecca. I can handle it. So you notice in verse 44 and 45 how Rebecca calls Esau. In verse 44 and 45, does Rebecca call Esau my son? No, your brother. She says, your brother. So in keeping with the your brother, <laughs> with the thy position, in keeping with this your brother, does she call, does she call, does Rebecca call Laban uh, thy uncle? I mean, after all, it's your brother. What? No, my brother. See? Why is Laban called my brother and not thy uncle in verse 33, while Esau is called thy brother and not my son? Because calling Laban my brother, Rebecca is emphasizing Laban's going to treat you well because he's my brother. Nothing could have been farther from the truth. <laughs> that she was oh so wrong. <laughs> Laban would become Jacob's greatest enemy, as we will see. And the conflict will become so great at their parting that Laban has now determined to kill Jacob. And he said, I would have done it except God stopped me. <laughs> Uh-oh. This is an unexpected problem in Rebecca's second counter scheme that shows us how things don't go as we plan when we don't turn to God for guidance and instead we push our own way through. Now, how long had Rebecca thought it would take for Esau's anger to blow over in verse 40? It says a few days, <laughs> a few days, <laughs> just a few days. It was more like a few, a few decades, <laughs> as in 20, at least 20 years. She probably never saw Jacob again for the rest of her life. That's the second unexpected problem in Rebecca's counter scheme that shows how things don't go as we plan when we don't turn to God for guidance and instead push our own way through. Rebecca's first counter scheme was just so impulsive, she just didn't seem to think of Esau's anger. And in verse 44, she speaks lightly of the, well, until his brother's fury turned away. But in verse 44 and 45, she refers in verse 44 to Esau's fury until thy brother's fury turn away. And then in 45, she seems to be a little bit surprised, and, and she says, until thy brother's anger turn away. See, in verse 44, when she says, until thy brother's fury turn away, she uses a word for fury, a Hebrew word, chema, which means heat. And then in verse 45, she kind of like seems to be still focused on this, and she says, no, I got to explain it again, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee. And there she uses another Hebrew word, which is the word af, which comes from the word nose. 
So in other words, this is passionate, rapid breathing through the nose that she sees. See, by using these two words here, we can see how Rebecca is just like, well, this has kind of caught me a little bit off guard here. I didn't expect all this heat or all this nose breathing. (laughs) But this murderous anger toward Jacob, that's typically what happens when we fall in love with our plans to solve problems instead of turning to God. And we don't anticipate the problems that are going to come. So at the end of verse 45, what was it that Rebecca feared the most? Yeah, deprived of both of them, right. She was fearing to be deprived in one day. She feared losing Jacob. That's exactly what happened to her. And by the way, when it says at the end of verse 45, why should I be deprived also of both of you in one day? Who is the both you referring to? Well, in verses 42 through 46, this whole passage, Rebecca is talking to Jacob, and she's talking to Jacob about Esau. So the both is referring to her two sons, Jacob and Esau. So what does Rebecca mean when she says, deprived also of you both in one day? What she meant by the one day is that on the day that Esau would murder Jacob, she would obviously lose Jacob, but after the murder, then Esau would either flee or be put to death. So she'd lose him too. So we've seen how Rebecca, what happens, we've seen in Rebecca what happens when we lean to our own understanding for solving problems. More problems. That's what happens, more problems. <laughs> but, but there's something else we see in Rebecca that's all too typical. In verse 45, what does Rebecca say that Esau will forget? Okay, is that accurate? <laughs> that which thou hast done to him? You know, that's funny. Because that's not exactly the way we remember it. (laughs) We seem to remember a Rebecca who said in verse 8, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. We seem to remember a Rebecca in verse 13, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, only obey my voice. Go fetch the meat. See, that which thou hast done to him, that's funny because we don't remember from verse 8 what happened to Esau would never have happened unless Rebekah hadn't pushed her way through. That which thou hast done to him, that's funny because we, we remember from verse 8 that Rebekah said to Jacob, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. In other words, don't think about what I'm telling you, just do it. You know, that which thou hast commanded, that's funny Because we remember from verse 13 how Jacob was afraid of getting a curse and he didn't want to do it. And Rebekah pushed Jacob, her son, by saying, upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice. We remember really well from verse 13, Rebekah's words, upon me. But now when it's time for Rebekah to step up to the plate with the upon me, we don't see her. We don't see her stepping up with the upon me position and saying in verse 45, until thy brothers turn away from thee and forget what I have done to him. That would have gone along with the upon me statement in verse 13. We don't see Rebecca taking the responsibility by living up to her upon me promise in verse 13. As a matter of fact, we don't even see Jacob. Where's Jacob? He's under the bus. (laughs) <laughs> because Rebecca just threw him under the bus until he forget what thou has done to him statement. So now as Jacob hears his mother say in verse 45, he forget what thou has done unto him. Think about Jacob. 
And just forget Esau, Isaac, and Rebekah. Just focus on Jacob. Jacob is feeling, I have just deceived my father. Jacob is feeling, my brother is vowing to kill me. Jacob is feeling, I have just been betrayed by my mother. See, apart from that, it was a good day for Jacob. (laughs) See, when Rebecca put all the blame on Jacob by saying he forget that which is done to, to him, Jacob doesn't have a friend in the world. In one day, he lost the trust of his father, the safety about being around his brother, and the support of his mother. He is effectively being thrown out of the house, and he's on his own. What a day that was for Jacob. Jacob had only one friend, and that was his mother, and his mother has just betrayed him. Jacob has just lost every friend in the world. Jacob has no friends. Jacob is alone. And that set Jacob up to find the greatest friend that Jacob will ever have in God. And that set Jacob up to find a friend in God who would never betray him like his mother. And this is so typical of what happens before a person comes to God. He is driven to God by the whole, by his whole world falling apart as it did on this day for Jacob. And it's so typical to see in Rebecca a person who starts out with, uh, who needs God? I can handle this myself. I'll take responsibility for my actions and ends up with blaming someone else when all goes wrong. So now we come to the last verse in the chapter. And by the way, this will be our final picture of Rebecca. And we say, well, is repentance on the horizon? Uh, do we see Rebecca saying, oh, how wrong I've been? <laughs> oh, no. Wait. Rebecca's not finished. Now she goes to Isaac. And do we see Rebecca telling him the truth? Do we see Rebecca saying to Isaac, we got a real problem. Esau wants to murder Jacob. Does she do that? She doesn't say that. No. We see Rebecca back to her own tricks. We see Rebecca with a, I'm weary of my life. I'm going to die. Routine. <laughs> and I'm so concerned that Jacob gets a good wife. You're not concerned Jacob gets a good wife. You're concerned that Jacob can live. She's not concerned about him getting a good wife. She expects him to be back in a couple of days. Poor Rebecca. Sadly, this is the last picture we have of Rebecca in the Bible. She will not be honest. She will not own up. She will not be straight. She will not trust God. She, was, she will lean to her own understanding. She will be the ends justify the means person. She will resort to deception, manipulation, whatever it takes. What a picture we have of the Rebecca in us and how we have to learn, take control. Don't let the Rebecca in us have her way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, this passage that you have recorded for us to learn from from your word. And we thank you, Lord, also for the mercy that you had on Rebecca and the mercy that you have on us. And thank you, Lord, that there's always a way to repent. There's always a way to change. There's always a way to come back to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God, 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.